Cut three, Esther intro. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world and across the United States. We're so, so happy to have you back with us. It's been a while and it's so nice to have you all come back and join us for some more incredible stories. Now, if you happen to be new and this is your first time here, don't be shy. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, Find a nice place to sit and uh, help yourself to refreshments. Um, We hope that you like what you hear and we hope that you're going to hit that subscribe button and or you can follow us too either one is good and then that way when friday rolls around and you're thinking my gosh i wish i had something interesting to listen to well guess what here it is here we are we'll be there waiting for you every friday to entertain you and whatever you are doing wherever you are and uh if you think that you know somebody who might also like to listen to these kind of stories well don't be stingy go ahead and share the more the merrier yeah, we take our uh, obligation uh, very seriously to make sure that each and every Friday evening you get uh, a brand new story to listen to uh, because we we frankly love telling you these stories and having you with us. Well, Gary, we've got a special guest back with us tonight, and uh, we're going to welcome back Esther Luttrell. Uh, good evening, Esther, from Mojave Beach Productions. <clears throat> Esther, uh, we're anxious to hear your stories about MGM. That's the greatest movie studio of them all, in my in my estimation. <clears throat> and we're going to also hear a little bit about your work with the uh, popular TV series from the 1970s. It was called Chips, about the California Highway Patrol. You uh, remember that one, don't you, Gary? Yes, I, uh, I do remember Chips. Uh, Chips. I uh, watched that in re- reruns. Starring uh, Eric Estrada. So, Esther, take it away. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I got a call one evening and said, uh, would, you like, would you like to work uh, on the show Chips? I said, doing what? Because, you know, again, you're talking to a girl with no skills. I don't type very well, and I, I sure don't take shorthand. Or what do they want? Because <laughs> you know, I, I didn't see myself as the caliber that would be writing scripts even for Chips. And they said they need a production. They need a production coordinator. Well, they, I didn't know what that was, but uh, I never let that stop me. So I said sure. So I went over the next morning and I interviewed. And I interviewed with Don Gold. And Don is a man of very few words. And all he said to me was "ooh, ooh," you know, he wrote it. <laughs> and uh, finally, I said to him, "I am so nervous." And he said, "Why?" And I said, "Because." I keep going out, you know, and helping producers and writers and things do whatever they need done. But I've never really wanted anything in particular. I really want to do this. So now I'm nervous. And he went, oh, that was his, means he's hysterical. And he said, well, we'll let you know. And I left thinking, oh, why did I say that? Oh, my gosh, I'm a jerk of myself. So I called the people who had sent me at MGM, and I, I said, uh, I didn't do well. Uh, he didn't say two words, and uh, 
I told him I was nervous, and I'm sure nothing was going to come of it. He called me back about an hour later, and he said, guess what? You got the job. Oh, well, what do you want any? So the next morning, I go into work, and I'm sitting at the desk, and 26 lines on your desk. What are you, a switchboard operator? 26 lines on your desk between the crew and and the executive offices, and they're all ringing at once, and people are coming in saying, I, I need body makeup. What do, what do I know about that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, and I don't know who these people are. So finally, I go to Don Gold's, uh, his office is right, you know, behind me is an open door, and then it opens into his office, and I knocked on his door, and I said, excuse me. What exactly does a production coordinator do? And he said, and I quote, beat the hell out of me. And that was my training. <laughs> what a line. Was, That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I mean, things just flew in from the crew. They would call me and say, Quick, do we go to the cover set or do we stay here? I don't know. How am I supposed to? I didn't know I was supposed to ask Don. I thought I was supposed to know. And and then I, we need six extras tomorrow. Can you get us the extras and, and the body makeup, too? Oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I'd go out in the street and see if anybody wants to come in. I didn't have a clue. So I took home with me the cast and crew list and everything else I could find that might give me a clue. Number one who all these people are, what do they do, what's their job, what am I supposed to know about them? And when I came back on Monday, you know, if they yell at me too hard, I'd say, hey, well, hold it, this is only my second day here, let's take it slow now. (laughs) You tell me what you want and say it in English and I'll try to figure it out. (laughs) And by thunder, I started getting flowers sent up to my office and candy from uh, from the cast. And uh, I, I was done they were so grateful but i had no clue what i was i never did know what i was doing anyway i don't remember exactly how i met eric but i know one day i I seldom went to the set because it's so busy they're coordinating 125 people for a show that is prepping it'll start the next week you're running a show that's crew casting crew of 125 people this week, and and you're involved in post on the show that just finished, and you're supposed to coordinate all of that, and you don't even know what the job is about. Uh, you're you're really running around chasing yourself. But I loved it. It was such a challenge. Anyway, I went out to the set one day, and Eric came over, and he said. You know why I like you so much? And I said, I didn't know you did. <laughs> he said, no, you remind me of me. You're not really comfortable out here, are you? And I said, no, I'm self-conscious. He said, I am too. Well, we used to film out uh, under a viaduct in L.A. when they have those chase scenes or any scenes where they're on the highway. It's an area of L.A. that's really not used, an old closed-down highway right in the middle of town, actually, but it's not used. And there was a dog there. And this dog used to come up as a German Shepherd. He was always whining. And Eric would go and sit with him and hold him and they'd commune. And Eric named him Don't Cry. Don't Cry. 
And he finally ended up taking him home with him. He adopted him. I think I sent you a picture of Eric and Don't Cry. And uh, I thought, what a sweet, sweet man. Yeah. Well, Eric had a young assistant named Bill. And I got to know Bill. Well, I got to know everybody. But um, Bill would tell me little things that Eric was doing. And I want to share this with you, and, and he probably would not like it, but I'm going to anyway. We were all filming out in Malibu. And, of course, when you film, you gather quite a, an audience around you all standing, watching, hundreds of people standing around watching you. And uh, they were down on the beach. Well, a lady was just moving into town, and as I recall, she had two little children. Everything they owned was in the car and strapped onto the top of it. But she went to show the kids, and she went to see herself. They were, oh, somebody's filming a movie down on the beach. So they pulled a car over on the side of the road, walked down the cliff and got down on the beach, and they stood among the crowd that was watching uh, a film with Eric and who knows who all. When the scene ended, the lady went back up to her car, and it had been stolen. Oh, her car no. With everything. Well, you know, Chips, we had a lot of real policemen. Uh, they liked the show. They liked Eric. They liked everything we were doing. Plus, we hired a lot of them for, for crowd control. Uh, police who were off-duty would often moonlight with us. Anyway, there are a lot of police around. And uh, Bill got wind of the fact this lady had lost everything. And he went running to Eric and told Eric. Eric went not to the lady, but to Bill. He said, uh, put her in a nice motel, her and the kids, make sure they have everything they need until we can get them a place to live. If they find their stuff, great, but if they don't, let's take care of them. But don't tell her who's doing it. And don't tell anybody else, and Bill knew better than that, but he did tell me. Anyway, Eric took care of them oh, uh, wow. until they got a place to live and replaced everything they had. That's and, fantastic. Uh, I just adored him. Everybody that worked with Eric said he was the most professional. He always knew his lines. He couldn't memorize his lines. They were written on everything, the handlebar of the motorcycle that he could not ride. Anytime you see Michael on a motorcycle, that was uh, Danny, his uh, stunt double. Danny called it his fright wig because he put on a black wig and a helmet and off he'd go on a motorcycle. <laughs> Eric couldn't ride. He didn't have a good sense of balance. But <laughs> Eric was the most humane, the most professional, the most genuine actor I, I think I knew in all of Hollywood, only a couple of exceptions, but just everybody respected him. He said one time to me, he said, I get so nervous when I go in the commissary because I know everybody turns and looks at me. I don't know what they see. I don't know what they expect. I don't know what they want me to do. Well, he had a publicist, Bill, another Bill, who tried, in, especially in TV Guide interviews, tried to paint him as a young Earl Flynn. That was the image his publicist had of him. And that's about as far away from Eric as you could get. And Eric didn't know how to behave like Earl Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, he was so on the set, if there were children... He would sit with the children. Uh, or if a dog came onto the lot, uh, he, you can count on him being over at the 
somewhere in the distance there with a dog on his lap. This is dog and children. So one day, I got a phone call, and it was from a man in New York. And he said, I've never called a TV show before. I'm not a fan. But my little boy is undergoing brain surgery in just a little bit. And his hero is Punch. Oh, wow. Is there any way in this world, before he goes in that operating room, that you think Eric Estrada might just say hello to him? And I said, honey, just stay right where you are. Let me get on another line. Don't hang up. And I called, and they were on the lot that day on a soundstage. And I got Bill, and I told him what happened. And Bill said, well, he's doing a scene right now. They're shooting. So he, he can't take the call right now, but don't let the father get away from you. You know, get the phone number, and Eric will call him back just the minute he can. And uh, so I told the father that, and he said, I, we can't wait. He's going into the operating room now. Well, I said, um, please call us the minute he's out. But he gave me his number where he was. Uh, I don't know. At that time, we didn't have cell phones, so I'm not sure what number he gave me, but it reached him. Anyway, uh, Bill kept calling. He said, oh, my God, they want to do retakes. Eric, I told Eric what's going on, and he said, please keep trying to get the father. Don't let him get away from you. And so the father and I talked, and I was so, as I already explained, it was hectic in that office anyway. But I kept in touch with the father throughout the day, and finally toward evening, toward the end of our day, Eric came running up. And uh, he said, did you get the father? I said, we've been on the phone all day, and the little boy is out of surgery now. He's in recovery. And he said, get him on the phone. Get him on the phone. So I got the father in. I said, Eric's here now. Uh, is your little boy awake yet? And he said, he's just coming to. And I said, can you put the phone to his ear? And the father said, I sure can. So I said, I said, all right, he's in recovery, hon. But the father's got the phone to the little boy's ear. And Eric says, uh, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy, I hear you came through that just really great. This is Punch. And he was grinning ear to ear. And I thought, oh, God love you. You know, just such a precious person. Mm. That's a fantastic yeah. story. That's got me tearing up a little bit, Esther. I'm going to have to <laughs> listen to you because I can hardly talk after hearing that. Well, there are a lot of others. But those are the two that I remember the best and I remember the most. And he's just a decent, good guy. Well, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he is one of those rare people who make the world a better place for all of us. Yeah, I understand um, now <laughs> that he is actually working to, uh, somehow with the police uh, in another state. But I know that was... That was always his dream, was to not so much be a policeman, but to work with the kids, keep them off of drugs. You know, he was raised by his grandmother in Hell's Kitchen. He was Puerto Rican, uh, but he didn't speak Spanish. But he was raised by his grandmother, whom he just adored. Also adored his mother and, and bought her a beautiful home. The, the first money he got, he took care of his family. First money he got. And they were so poor, so so very poor. They, it's such a bad place he came out of in New York. Uh, 
Eric but Estrada. it didn't show on him. It didn't show at all. Mm-hmm. Eric Estrada, the star of Chips. And right. uh, those uh, TV episodes, I think they're still available. Aren't oh, they? yeah, you can still find them. They're always a uh, uh, rerun. I know that, uh, well, back when uh, TV Land actually did reruns of uh, of older shows, not new shows, uh, Chips was one of the ones they played all the time. Mm-hmm. Esther, they were a long time before they got into syndication. They were a very long time before uh, they went syndicated. I have no idea why. But yeah, they are in syndication now. I yeah. understand. Yeah. Esther, with all of those telephone lines there, it sounds like uh, you had you were kind of like a a spider with a web going out all over the MGM lot. Uh, did you have any other uh, interesting uh, folks you might have uh, met, um, say in Tarzan or Sylvester Stallone or Dick Clark or anybody like that? Where do you want me to start? <laughs> Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Okay. Went to, uh, one of the things I did before Chips was, uh, you know, floating around the lot, going wherever they tell me to go. So I got a call to show up and, and, uh, there's a, in the back of the lot, there are little wooden duplexes. They look like ranch houses. No, not ranch houses. They Places where cowboys used to bunk houses. That's what they look like. They have a little wooden porch, and they are duplexes, one room on either side of a wall. And so that is our music department at NGM. Uh. So I was sent to go to one of those rooms where Bill Saraceno, who had been Elvis Presley's uh, music editor, and all of his pictures were where he was doing a film. And uh, Bill started when he was 17, assisting his uncle, who was the music editor for Singing in the Rain. Mm -hmm. And Bill had been at MGM all those years. And talk about stories. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, in the next room, which is, I remember, just two one rooms here side by side, separated by a wall, sharing this little wooden porch out there. I kept hearing, da-da-da, (laughs) da-da-da. The theme from Rocky. Oh. Well, Rocky had already Rocky. I think yeah. they were Rocky two or three by that time. And uh, so I would often see Stallone out on the porch or run across him. I was coming in. He's going out. He always had a black shirt, black jeans, and a belt with this gigantic silver belt buckle and a black cowboy hat. And he had the most adorable demeanor, like yeah. Eric Estrada. Neither one of them took themselves, you know, seriously. Yeah. And they just, they were surrounded, the people they surrounded themselves by were people they knew before they became stars. Because they're the only people they were comfortable with. So one day, I was talking to his production assistant, Judy, on the phone. Oh, I think by then I had. I had gone to uh, to Chips by then. Anyway, I was talking to Judy on the phone, and I said, Judy, you know, I saw Stallone when I was working music with Bill Saraceno, but I didn't really get to know him. Is he as nice as he always appears to be? She said, let me tell you how nice he is. When Sly got started, he was trying to write Western novels. He was only getting like a penny or two a word, and they wow. were for those little cheap paper bags. And we were in New York, and I worked at a drugstore that had a, a 
a soda fountain. You know, we serve sandwiches and lunches and things. Stallone would come in, but he didn't have any money for a sandwich. So I was always slipping him sandwiches or half sandwiches. And he would eat them and he'd say, Judy, I'm going to make it one day. She said, sure you are. Just eat your sandwich and don't tell anybody. (laughs) I am. I'm going to make it one day. When I do, I'm going to send for you. She said, yeah, sure you are, honey. Go ahead. Eat your sandwich. (laughs) So pretty soon he disappeared. She didn't see him anymore. And then Rocky came out. She said, oh, my gosh, that's him. And she gets a phone call. And he says, come on to Hollywood. i got a job for you. Oh, wow. And that's how, yeah, and that's how she got her job. He so didn't forget her. He didn't forget <laughs> he the, didn't. the goodness, the kindness. The guys he had with him, around him, yeah, like Elvis, he had a little flock of people around him that he brought with him. Mm-hmm. They were all guys he knew, you know, before he became, right. before Rocky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stephen Rocky, you know, almost didn't get made, and that was done at, at a little studio across the street from MGM, not even MGM itself. Really? Winkler Productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, and, and they went over, they liked him. He came in with his script, and it, one of the big things was he wanted to star in it. Well, who are you? You know, we like your script. We don't even know if we can sell it because we don't know you as a writer. We don't know you as an actor. And he's, nope, that, that's one of the conditions. I, I get to star in it. So they went over to MGM, who at that time uh, was considering financing another picture that Winkler had. And Winkler said, all right, here's the deal. You're going to finance this other picture. We'll give that picture to you, but you've got to take Rocky. And they said, we don't want Rocky. The only way we'll take it then is we'll give you a million dollars to make it. But it's going to have to go out as a double feature because it's not going to make a penny back at the box office. So send it out as a double feature with the one that we are distributing for you. And it can ride piggyback on that. We'll get the box office returns on that. So that's how it got made. Wow. And, uh, of course, we we never heard of that second one that it was (laughs) double billing with. (laughs) Right. Because uh, Rocky took off so big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost didn't get made. That's amazing how those things happen. Yeah. I think, uh, Esther, what we'll do is we'll uh, wrap up our uh, podcast story this evening with uh, a few of your thoughts about your three years with Dick Clark. Yeah, well, I was uh, actually still working at MGM when, you know, I was working helping Hal Wallace and Dick Clark. But Dick Clark, I got paid for. <laughs> I was with him for three years. <laughs> but I picked up scripts on Friday night and returned them on Monday morning on my way back into MGM. But I worked with him for three years. and was his personal story consultant. Um, but, yeah, Dick Clark had 29 different enterprises going, juggling them simultaneously. He had won the Academy Award for producing uh, Murder in Texas. I don't think a lot of people knew that. Uh, he was one of the richest people in Hollywood, uh, an astute businessman. Uh, there was <laughs> nothing mild about him. He had a terrible temper if he was mad, uh, but he was very fair. You just didn't want to be, uh, you know, you want to do something that caused that temper to flare. He was very exacting about everything. He could not have balanced 29 projects if he hadn't been such an, had such a good business mind. Well, 
even, let's see, was I at MGM? I had just started at MGM, and I had written a screenplay. First effort I made in Hollywood. And I didn't know who to give it to because I didn't really know anybody. And somebody told me that Vic Clark's director of development, who those are the people who buy the scripts, they recommend them to their boss, the boss approves it, but they're the ones who who make the recommendation and who have the power. Anyway, I heard he lived only about three or four blocks from me. So I took my script, put it in a basket with a note that said, I can no longer afford to give this a home. Please take care of it. <laughs> That's I left great. It and left it at his doorstep. The next day, next morning, I get a phone call. This man said, are you Esther? I said, yes. He said, and you left a script at my front door. I said, I'm so sorry. That was a whim. That was impulse. I'm so sorry. It's not even that good. Please don't read it. Just forgive me. <laughs> he said, no, actually. We got in around 10, and I read it. I read it this morning when I had my breakfast. I'm sitting at my desk now. I just finished reading it again, and I'm on my way in to tell Duke that I think we should buy this. I said, you're not. Oh, wow. <laughs> He said, yes, I am. You're going to be there? Oh, no, no. I was like, yes, I will be there. <laughs> so anyway, he calls me back just before noon, and he said, you made yourself a, a sale lady. You got an agent? Yeah, I have an agent, and we leave scripted doorsteps and baskets. No, I don't have an agent. <laughs> he said, well, pick up the phone book, call any agent you want, tell them you just made a deal with Dick Clark Cinema Productions, and would they represent you? Wow. Oh, okay. And that's what happened. And then he went on and bought two more. But then I went on to work for them uh, for three years. So Dick Clark, just what I told you, uh, a brilliant man, a very fair man, uh, a very decent man, a very tough man. He could equal Hal Wallace any day in the tough department, but not mean tough. I saw a lot of that at MGM, and that was mostly blustering. Yeah. You know, real inner core tough can also be very fair and very generous, but they just don't put up with bull. They just don't have time. Mm -hmm. Esther, I have to tell you, your Hollywood experiences are, I guess, on the level of mind-blowing, would you say, Gary? Yeah, it's it's just... Yeah. I, I just get find myself getting lost listening to all these stories. It's just journey. fantastic. What a fascinating journey. And you know, uh, one of the nice things about it, Esther, is you have such fine uh, recall of all the details. You can still enjoy these uh, experiences over and over and over again. Well, yeah, but don't ask me where I left the car keys a while ago. You know, <laughs> I think as we get older, <laughs> isn't that the way it gets when you get older? Don't you remember, you know, the past better? I think what you remember, too, are things that are unusual. You know, uh, if something happens that makes a huge impact. You get a job on a nationally syndicated television show that was already a hit when I got with it and say you're a production coordinator and you don't know what the word means. That's going to stick with you. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. You're going to remember that. <laughs> yeah. That makes an impact on your life. Yeah. <laughs> now Esther, did yeah. you want to tell uh, everybody uh, before we go, did you want to tell them about uh, your, uh, your program, your yeah. uh, company that you have right now? Yes, please. Uh, yes. Mojave beach productions. And all we're trying to do, it's just what you do. We're just trying to tell good, honest stories. We're not 
after a million listeners. We're after the one listener who loves a good story. And that's not so much to ask. You know, the world is so full of chaos and violence. And we just want to do one thing that says, hey, settle down. Just sit down. Sit down and listen. Put your feet up on on your coffee table. Sit yeah. back and drive and listen to us. But while they're listening to Mojave Beach Productions, we have mysteries and dramas. We even have a Western culture bill. We have children's programs. We have all kinds of programs. But don't just listen to me. you got to listen to you, too. You're doing what we aspire to do. You've been at it longer. You do it better. We'll get there. Oh, well, thank you. Together, together we get there. Mojave Beach Productions, uh, folks. And we, we, uh, yes, MojaveBeachProductions.com, and you will be able to enjoy far more from Esther than we've been able to present. Right, Gary? Absolutely. That is so sweet. So sweet of you. Thank you. I just really appreciate being on your show. (laughs) Thank you again, (laughs) Esther. And, uh, oh, I'm, I'm Richard and I'm I'm absolutely thrilled with what we've heard this evening. Absolutely. And I'm Gary. And this truly was an incredible story with an incredible person. And we hope that you'll join us again next time for some more incredible stories. Thank you.